the story is, is told. In Matthew chapter 2, it tells us this, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, when Herod heard, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. We see in this story, first and foremost, the reality of who Jesus is. When, when the Magi arrive in Jerusalem, they ask very plainly, <laughs> Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we can understand why Herod, the current king, why this would be troubling to him. It sounds as if they're looking for the one who is to succeed Herod on his throne. And yet, Herod's response to their inquiry gives us great definition into the reality of who Jesus is, and that Jesus was not someone for the moment, but he was someone for all eternity, that it wasn't just about this time and space, it was about God's divine plan. If, if this disconnected puppet ruler because remember this, that Herod is put in place not by the Jewish people. Herod is put in place by, by Rome. First by Mark Anthony, then by Octavian. He is, he is, he is not a, a, a Jew by birth. He is an Edomite. And yet, even he in his ignorance... And even he, in his apathy, recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king of all kings and should be honored as such. Messiah. Where is the Messiah to be born, he asked. Messiah, here's what it means. The long-awaited God-anointed ruler who will overcome all other rule and bring an end to all of history and establish the kingdom of God and never, ever lose his reign. It's, it's fascinating to me 
that he asks his scribes, where is he to be born? And the text they focus on is, is Micah chapter 5, where it says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd your people Israel. Now, even that doesn't sound very extraordinary. Now, here's the unfortunate thing, is in that moment, Herod asks the wrong question. He asks the question, where? Can I offer you this? In reality, the where, unless you're from Bethlehem, or unless you want proof that Jesus is who he claims to be, it was not significant that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The only significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem was to fulfill prophecy. Bethlehem does not have supernatural powers. The, the where is not the important part of what's happening in Bethlehem at that moment. Here's the question that Herod should be asking. It's the question that we have to connect with this morning, and that is who? Who was it that was being born in Bethlehem on that morning? Who was it who was being placed into time at that moment? And who is it who reigns yet today? And had he, had he just asked his chief priests and scribes the question who, they might have read on in Micah chapter 5 when it says this, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. At that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. You see, this king is not just coming into being in the, in the, in the womb of his mother Mary. Scripture says this, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Or as John's gospel says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Make no mistake, friend, the babe that was born in Bethlehem was not just the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah. And as such, cries out, deserves, absolutely commands worship. And, and the wonderful thing about this story of the wise men coming from the east is it demonstrates to us that it's not just the Jewish people that are to worship the Messiah. It is all people that are to worship the Messiah because He is the Messiah for all people. In fact, it's fascinating. If, if you look at, at, at the Bible, and in, in we, have, we have these, these four books in the beginning of the New Testament called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and these four books, they kind of say the same thing, but they say it from different angles. And the reason is these four Gospels were written really to connect to different audiences. The, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke was written primarily to people who were not Jewish by persuasion. It, it is written to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. Matthew's gospel is written from a, a, a profoundly Jewish perspective. This is the reason why when you look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, it starts with this very long lineage. 
it starts with this very long lineage because what it's doing is it's declaring to those who know the history of their people, listen, this is the legitimacy of who Jesus is. And after that lineage, after that, that, that introductory statement of lineage, here's what it starts with. And after, after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came. The beginning of Matthew's gospel tells us this, that not just Jews, but Gentiles also connect with the Messiah. That's the beginning of Matthew's gospel. The end of Matthew's gospel, it's 28 chapters long, this book, and the, the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, tells us this. It says, go and make disciples of all nations or of all peoples. It's fascinating to me that Matthew's gospel is bookended. The beginning talks about the fact that Jesus is the answer for everyone. The end of Matthew's gospel declares that Jesus is the answer for everyone. Friends, that's great news because that means it includes you and it includes me. See, Jesus is absolutely the Messiah, and He deserves to be worshipped. And He deserves to be worshipped by everyone, by everyone. See, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60 declares this, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That, by the way, that's the Scripture reference where we get the idea of kings that's, that's where the, how the wise men are, are attributed to be kings. They're attributed to be, to be kings by Psalm 72 and by Isaiah 60. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your, of your rising. So here's what Matthew does. Matthew adds proof to the Messiahship of Jesus and that he shows that he is the Messiah and king and a promise fulfiller and a life giver, not just for Israel, but not for all of us, not just for Jews, but for Jews and Gentiles alike. This is why Jesus declares in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and share this good news to everyone and, and help everyone to connect to, with me in such a way that they become followers of me. Because just as the wise men came to firm understanding of some 2,000 years ago, it is vital that we come to this understanding today that Jesus absolutely is the Messiah, and He is the Messiah for all people. And we come to understand this not just because we have it in a book. We come to understand this because everything around us reminds us of the reality of who God is. Yes, we live in a world of challenge and difficulty, and that speaks to us of, of the issue of sin, doesn't it? It speaks to us of the fact that we know that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That, that we do have this great advocate, we also have this great adversary. But when we, when we strip away all of the issues of the day, it's very easy to see how all of creation cries out the existence of God. And all of creation speaks to God's plan. And all of creation supports the redemptive process. 
It should then be no surprise to us that these wise men from the East, that they were guided by creation, that they were guided by nature, because all the universe declares that Jesus is deserving of our worship. This is a reason why the wise men say, where is he born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the East and have come to worship him. You know, over and over, the Bible baffles our curiosity. It really does, about just how certain things happen. How, how did this star get the Magi from the east of Jerusalem? It, it does not say that it led them or it went before them. It only says that they saw the star in the east. There are people that will tell you that it was a, uh, that it was a comet, that it was a, a planet, that it was a supernova, that it was a miraculous light. Do you want to know what it was? <laughs> you might want to write this down. Are you ready? I was not there 2,000 years ago. I have no idea. None. Here's what I know. Are you ready? You can write this down if you want. Where is he born in the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So, there was a star that this group of men from Babylon, from Persia, from modern-day Iran, some thousand miles away, that they saw, and they looked at this star, and they were, they were wise men, they were, they were men that understood, they, 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 they understood what was happening in the heavens, and, and as they looked at that star and they said, man, that thing's different, there's something different about it, we need to research what is the story about this star. And as they researched this star, it brought them to the conclusion, this star is no ordinary star, this light in the night sky is no ordinary light, this star represents the birth of the King of the Jews, and we have come, we should go and honor Him Provide for him the honor that is due him. That's what we know about the star. But here's, listen, what is plain concerning this matter of the star is this, is that God does something significant that all mankind, that all mankind would know who Jesus is. It's God's design. He did it then, he's still doing it now. God's aim is that all nations, all nations will come to him. It's God's will for everyone. It's, listen, it's God's will for the people in your workplace. It's God's will for the people in your school. It's God's will for the people in your neighborhood. And, and God will go to great, great lengths to, to reveal who he is. Just as the star in that Bethlehem night, creation even today is declaring Jesus as Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's no ordinary person. Jesus is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. And God wields all of creation to bring that revelatory truth to mankind. You know what's fascinating? 
is that those who are in opposition to the activity of the Messiah, whether it be through apathy or through overt opposition, will always be troubled by the presence of the Messiah. It, it's important. I want to take a moment. I want to unpack this. And here's the reason why. For many of us, in the coming hours, in the coming days, we're going to spend time with family. And here's what the Word of God says. It says that if you accept the free gift of salvation through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that God Himself resides within you. Jesus lives within us, right? We, we learned that from the early days of Sunday school. Right? Jesus comes to live. Of course, in Sunday school, we talked about the fact that Jesus comes to live in our heart, right? That He lives in our heart. The presence of Almighty God, it will always bring a response to those who are, who are in opposition, whether in apathy or over opposition. When, when, when Herod asks the chief priests, the scribes, his people who would have an understanding of the Messiah, when he asks them, where is it that the Messiah is to be born, they ask the question, answer the question, and then they go back to the routine of their life. They weren't in overt opposition to Jesus at this point. They were simply acting in apathy because the activity of the day was more important to them than the reality of who God is. But it was enough that Matthew's gospel tells us this, that King Herod, together with all of Jerusalem, and, and, and obviously we know this, when it says all of Jerusalem, it's not every single person living in Jerusalem, that's a little bit of, little bit of hyperbole there, but all of, the, all of the people that are in the know, all of the people that are, are, that are, main, that are, that are main players, they're, they're troubled by the idea that the Messiah has come. Why are they troubled by the idea that the Messiah has come? Here's the reason why. They have a well-developed routine. Life is good for them, and they're not interested in anything upsetting it. They are too busy, and life is too organized to deal with this idea of the Messiah now. Here's, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that the chief priest wanted at some point the Messiah to come. That the scribes at some point wanted the Messiah to come. That the religious elite in Jerusalem that day, at some point they wanted the Messiah to come, but not now. Not now. Okay? We're too busy for it. We've got too much going on. Life is too good. We're too comfortable. 
And so the idea of Jesus coming into their existence at that moment, it troubled them. Herod, it troubled Herod for a far greater reason. Herod had a lot more to deal with. Because the idea of the Messiah, Herod loses all power. Herod loses all position. Herod loses all identity. Because it's obvious by even his ignorance to some of the cursory things of Scripture that he's got no connection with God, even though he is the king of Judea at the time. As we, as we gather together with friends and, and family over the holidays, we, we will interact with people who have overt opposition to the kingdom of God. Some of you, you, you already are anticipating this. You're already anticipating the, the discussion and the conversation and the debate and the ridicule that you'll deal with from, from family members, from that, that uncle that thinks he's a theologian. For, for some of us, it's, it's, it's not somebody who's in overt opposition, but it, it's, it's those who are living in, in apathy. Yes, if you get them drunk enough, they'll, they'll, they'll talk religion, and, and, and you know what? And they know what to say, and they'll even tell you that they love God. But, but they don't need God being engaged in their life right now, or, or at least that's their perception. And so when you come into when you come into that environment, when you step into their context and the presence of God is within you, even if you say nothing, there's, there's activity that happens at the surface level. Friends, there's also activity that happens at the supernatural level, at the spiritual level. And there will be resistance to you, frustration towards you, even hostility towards you that you don't understand. There's a reason why the wise men chose to go home another way. These wise men have no reason to fear Herod. And yet they choose to go home another way. Why? Because the Spirit of God reveals to them the opposition that they will face. Now, here's what our posture should be in 2018. I know as I spend time with family in the coming days that there will be those that will struggle in our interaction because of the presence of God that lives in me. Friend, hear this. This is not a statement of arrogance. And the last thing that any of us should do is to have, is to have any, any concept of, of superiority because it is only by grace that we're saved. It's a free gift that has been given to us. But knowing that I'm called to be salt and light, that I'm called to bring value and influence, it is worthwhile that I recognize that I recognize the impact that my presence will bring. 
Because Jesus is who the Word of God claims Him to be. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. And not just for a few people, He is the Messiah for all people and deserves to be worshipped as as such. All creation cries out the reality of who He is, which is evidenced by the eastern star that appeared on that Bethlehem night. And yes, there will be those who are in opposition to Him and and will be troubled by that. That that element of the of the story of the wise men, it, it, it speaks to significant relevance today. The opposition that comes against Christ and his worshipers, indifference and hostility. Let me ask you a question as as we gather here. Could you, those of you that are gathered here and gathered here in God's house today, those of, of you that are watching via media this morning, could you be rightly attributed to one of those two groups? The groups that live in 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 indifference towards the Messiah? Apathy? or hostility towards the things of God, overt rebellion to His principles and His plan? Well, let me, let me encourage you, let me challenge you. That, let, let Christmas be the time that you, that you reconsider the Messiah and ponder what it means to, to embrace who He is today and to recognize the importance to worship Him. Worship. Worship. When we look at the truths of the, of the story of the wise men, the, the greatest truth that, that cries out to us is this idea of, of worship. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped Him. Worship. Worship. It, 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 means, it means joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ and doing that in a demonstrative way, bringing our gifts to Him and, and, and even our sacrificial gifts to Him. There are, there are four… Let me give this to you real quickly. There, there are four pieces to uh, a definition of worship that are grounded in, in this text. Number one is this, this idea of ascribing authority. So when we worship, one of the things that you'll find is this, is we worship with, through uplifted hands. Why? Because what we're doing is we're making a declaration of surrender. We're ascribing authority to the very God of very God. We will bow. We will We will present ourselves to God in such a way that we declare, you are God alone. In the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. We do this with uplifted voices. We do this with uplifted hands. Even as we bring His tithe and our offering, it is a declaration of authority 
The fact that they bowed shows that they demonstrate dignity. It says they fell to the ground. Worship. Worship will always be connected to joy. I love the fact that it says this, that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It doesn't just say they were joyful. It says, it doesn't just say they rejoiced with joy. It says they rejoiced with great joy. No, it says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It consumed them. It captivated them. And they offered demonstrative gifts. It's it's fascinating to me that the wise men came from Persia, from Babylon. And you'll oftentimes you'll hear you'll hear conversation, you'll hear teaching about the significance of the gifts that they brought. The significance of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Gold, honoring to a king. Frankincense, that which was given to a priest. Myrrh, that which was important for sacrifice. Let me share with you another element that, that is much less talked about but is much more significant. You see, centuries before, there were a group of Babylonians that came to visit the king of Israel, the king of Judah, a guy by the name of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah goes, let me show you all of my treasures. And in doing so, it was prophesied, Hezekiah, all of those treasures will be taken. And will be taken by the Babylonians. And sure enough, shortly after Hezekiah's reign, Judah falls to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. It is... No insignificant thing that wise men from Babylon return to God what rightly belongs to God in a surrendered declaration of worship. Friends, that's what we do every Sunday morning as we gather together. In fact, the ushers are positioned this morning. And with that understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, and that He's the Messiah for everyone, that includes you, that all creation cries out the reality of who He is. And even those who stand in hostility and apathy recognize the spiritual activity. It seems right and appropriate that we would worship. Returning to God 
that which belongs to Him. And so, unashamedly, on, on the Sunday before Christmas, I would, I would ask you this question. Are you faithful? Will you be faithful this morning in returning to God that which belongs to God? Because God's Word says that the first tenth of everything that I have belongs to Him. In fact, Scripture tells me this, that it's, a, it's an avenue that God uses to bless me, and when I hold on to it, I, I subject myself to the curse. And not just me, my family. God, I will not withhold from you that which rightly belongs to you. And just as the wise men brought back to God's kingdom what belongs to God's kingdom, God, I want to give to you in ascribing dignity and authority, I want to joyfully give to you what belongs to you this morning. And beyond that, they, they, brought, they brought gifts. And as we celebrate the birth of of our God and our King. What, what gift will you give to Him this Christmas season that demonstrates joy, not just joy, great joy, that demonstrates not just great joy, but exceedingly great joy. God, above everything else that I have, you are the greatest aspect of my life. More than that new thing, more than that new experience, God, it's, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Can I, can I honestly offer this to you this morning? Each time we gather together and we challenge you to return God's tithes and bring your offering, it's not because we want to get something from you. God will always meet the needs of his church. He does, and he does it in some really cool, amazing ways. And for those of you that have been a part of Calvary Story for a long period of time, you understand that. Friends, you're sitting in a room that's evidenced of that. That seat that you're sitting in, okay, those were replaced just a little more than a year ago. They're the nicest church seats that can be purchased. We did not receive one single offering to pay for those seats. Didn't, didn't take up one fundraiser. Didn't go to the bank and ask for a loan. The lighting system in this, in this, in this auditorium, most of the stage lighting has been replaced. Just after the first of the year, all of the house lights will be replaced with LED lighting. The sound system, over half a million dollars in speakers. In the coming weeks, a new sound console has been ordered for the sound booth. So our few lingering sound problems, we're addressing those. And you know what? We didn't ask you for a penny. You know why? Because God has supernaturally supplied over and over and over and over and over again. Five years ago, they said we, were, we would be out of money in three months. This year, in addition to what we do here locally, we will invest over a million dollars in kingdom activity around the world. 
And so we bring this challenge, not because we're trying to get something from you, but because Jesus is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for all, for you. Creation cries out. Even those in ignorance and apathy know at heart level that it's true. And he deserves to be worshiped, ascribing dignity and authority to him joyfully. And it is, it is impossible to truly do that and not have demonstrative, even what some might perceive as sacrificial giving. And that's why we will always challenge you in this. So as we come to the end of a year, are you honoring God with every area of your life, including that issue of giving? Now is the time to make it right. Now is the time to properly posture yourself before God and ascribe to Him the authority and dignity due to Him and to position yourself in such a way that you're right in the middle of what God has for you. And we do this. We do this, and here's the, here's the wonderful result. 132 of Orlando's homeless had a, a Christmas meal this morning at Golden Corral because of the ministry footprint of Calvary Orlando. 100 families at Killarney Elementary are celebrating Christmas this year, over 100 families, because of what God flows through Calvary Orlando. Three million meals have been provided this year around the globe by Calvary Orlando. 4,000 pastors have a complete Bible for the first time because of the faithfulness of Calvary Orlando. And yet, and yet, I talked to one of our missionaries this morning, Jamie Kemp. Wanted to check and make sure he was okay because of the tsunami that struck Indonesia yesterday. And he said, we're good. We're good, Pastor. Thank you for checking in on us. He said, we're on the island of Java. The tsunami really hit Sumatra. We're good. He said, we're good, but let me report this to you. Not one church was destroyed by that tsunami. Not one Christian was, was, was harmed by that tsunami. And he said, that could sound like good news. He said, but the reality is this. Hold on, hold on. He said, the reason that not one Christian was hurt, the reason why not one church was destroyed, he said, because there's not a single Christian, there's not a single church on that island. And he said, please tell Calvary Orlando, that's why we're here in Indonesia. Because there's got to be churches developed on that island there's got to be Christians on that island because every last person that died in that tsunami died and went to a Christless eternity. 
And we are here in Orlando this morning, and we know this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, not just for us, but for them. Because he is the Messiah for all. So will you worship him? Will you today worship him by returning to him that which belongs to him? Will you worship him today? Not just with the tithe, but also with the gift of offering. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.